Temptation is something that every single person experiences in life over and over again. Jesus himself was not exempt from it during his life on earth either. But his response to it holds for us important bits of wisdom. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich takes Jesus' temptation from Satan himself and reveals to us what lessons there are in it. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Duel with the Enemy, from Matthew chapter 4. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with everybody this morning once again as we open his word and wait for his, uh, him to speak to us. So, as I said, we're going to Matthew 4, and we will be reading verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle on the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up to, to an exceedingly high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou, shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and the, behold, the angels came and ministered to, unto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we are grateful to have had the chance to come and gather together in your name, the chance to lift your name in praise and worship, to lift our petitions before you, Lord. It is truly a blessing, a privilege, and an honor to be able to do so, for you are a holy and awesome and mighty God, and it is a pleasure to serve you. And Lord, now as we step into your word, we just ask you to help us to have our hearts and have our minds ready to be receptive to all the truths that you want us to hear today, that they may shape us and mold us, make us the servants you want us to be, and help us to understand you better, to grow in our relationship with you and grow closer to you. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to present the message today, but I just ask that you take me and use me as your instrument. Take away anything that could in any way interfere with the message, whether it be pride, selfishness, distraction. Take it all away. Empty me, fill me with your spirit, that I might only speak the words that you've given me, and that it be none of my own doing. And Lord, as a church, help us to continue to strive to move forward, continue to seek your will, that we might only do the things that you ask us to do and not do anything of our own accord. Lord, help us to always be outwardly seeking for and see the need that's around us, Lord, whether that need is physical or spiritual. Let us continue to strive to fulfill that need in your name, that you might be glorified in us doing so. 
And Lord, help us as individuals to see the urgency of the need to spread the salvation that you so freely offer to all those that are around us, whether that be in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our homes even, Lord. Let us be the voice of the gospel that we might share that good news with others around us, that they might come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, the times that we have sinned and chosen our own path, we ask that you forgive us, that we might continue on a path that serves you honorably and in accordance with your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, temptation and testing are subjects related to our faith that we talk about a lot. And yet at the same time, we kind of wish they would go away. Uh, testing is never a pleasant experience and temptation so often leads us down a road that ends up in regret, guilt, and unwanted consequences. Yet they are unfortunately a very real and sometimes even necessary component of our spiritual growth. Every one of us experiences temptation. Let's be honest. We all experience temptation. We experience it on a daily basis. We experience it several times a day, perhaps several times an hour even. It's so common because we're naturally evil to begin with. Now I know we don't like to hear that. We don't like to be told that we are naturally evil because the world's going to tell you you're naturally good. But if we go back in scripture and we look and it tells us through in Jeremiah that our hearts are wicked and if our hearts are wicked we are going to be tend to go towards the things that we shouldn't. We have a natural bent to do things that we know are wrong. And it's because we seek some sort of self-gratification or pleasure from it. Now the significance or impactfulness of the sin, that might vary from person to person. But understand something, the capacity to do wrong exists within every single one of us. The capacity to sin on any level really exists within every one of us. And to do things that we don't like to admit. Well, see, the enemy knows this. <clears throat> the enemy knows this very, very clearly. And he'll go to great lengths to exploit this, this within us. He knows this is a problem that we all struggle with. So he's going to go and make a lot of effort to try to play into this. Play into our natural bent towards sin. And Satan uses all the tools at his disposal. He uses deceit. He uses manipulation. He uses lies. He uses any other means at his disposal just to set us up for failure because he wants to see us fail. He wants to see us stumble and fall. So he can mock us and say, you call yourself a child of God? You call yourself a servant of the Most High God and you act like this? Now, I say all this and it seems like it's painting a real bleak picture for us believers. But understand something. God, through his word, has told us how we can survive, may even thrive, find victory against this onslaught of temptations. We can have a defense to the constant attacks the enemy throws our way. We have the ability to fight back. And these truths are demonstrated for us through none other than the story of Jesus himself being tempted. And it pro provides for us, 
by through his success in temptation, forgiveness of our sins. Now, before I go any further, I want to be clear about something. I want to provide a warning. A warning for any of those who have not called upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I've got to be honest with you, you really don't have a defense. You have no defense against the onslaught of Satan. Because you're on your own. You're on your own to fight against the wiles of the devil. You're open to attack and there's really, when it comes right down to it, no means to resist. Other than your own flesh, but we know how strong the flesh is. Because the Bible tells us the flesh is weak. The Bible teaches us that those who belong to Christ will not be tempted beyond that which they are able to resist through the strengthening and the power of Jesus Christ. But you know what? The strengthening and power of Jesus Christ doesn't exist for you if you don't know him. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. Because that teaches us there's always a way to escape temptation for believers. Isn't that comforting to know? Now you might think about that and say, man, I don't know, you know. Sometimes it's just, it's almost too much. It's too tempting. I just feel like I can't fight it. But the Bible promises us that we can fight it. We can escape it. If we will look to Jesus Christ for our strength to do so. But not so for those who don't believe. Oh yeah, you can try to be a good moral person. You can try to live a good moral life. But understand something very clearly. The flesh is weak and Satan is most definitely powerful. None of us, I repeat, none of us can stand against Satan in our own power. And without the power of Jesus Christ to assist us, if Satan chooses to tempt us relentlessly and continuously, yeah, you might resist for a while, but ultimately you are going to fail. It is inevitable. He is currently the prince of this world and seeks to destroy anyone he can. Satan looks to destroy careers, marriages, reputations, lives. And if you try to do what's right, he'll ultimately come after you. I promise you that. And it's my hope today, it is my prayer today, that through the words that God has shown us, we will see our need for the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and that through the actions that we read about of the very Son of God no less it'll become evident that we don't want to walk in this journey alone we don't want to face the trials of life alone we don't want to face temptation alone that surely we will want him to come by our side during the fight and by our side as our Redeemer in the day of judgment so if you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. That you fight this fight alone. Alright, so before we dive further into our verses this morning, I want everyone to turn back to the end of chapter 3 in Matthew. And let's know what's going on just prior to the period of temptation for Jesus, okay? Let's read uh, Matthew three sixteen through 17. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and lo, 
the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It is this that occurs immediately prior to Jesus being led up into the wilderness to be tempted after his 40 days of fasting. Now there's a lesson in that alone for us. There are two times when Satan will most likely come after us. Two times, typically. That's not to say it's exclusive to those two times, but two times that you can pretty much bet that he's going to come after us. The first is after a great spiritual victory. After a great spiritual victory, just as Jesus had. He had been publicly baptized, was beginning his earthly ministry, so now Satan says, I have got to bring him down. I've got to bring him down. I've got to discredit him. I've got to discourage him. It's the same way with us. We go through some great spiritual victory in our life. I can almost promise you that Satan is going to come after you immediately following that to try to bring you back down, to try to discredit you, to try to discourage you. The other time Satan likes to attack us is when we are weak, physically weak, spiritually weak. We might be tired, we might be depressed, we might be frustrated, we might be angry. All of these present an opportunity, a window, for Satan to find an inroad to our temptation. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. See, in Jesus' case, he had been in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. 40 days fasting. We as Christians typically when we do fasting and prayer do it for maybe a couple of days. Imagine 40 days fasting and prayer. Now granted he might have been sustained somewhat supernaturally but the bottom line is and the Bible tells us very clearly he was hungry. Can you imagine not eating for 40 days? I'd say you were pretty hungry. But there's something else of note we need to see here. Note the beginning of verse 1 where it tells us that he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. This was not just a chance occurrence. This was not something that just happened out of the blue. This was a prearranged situation. You see, Jesus had to go through a time of temptation and trial for a couple of reasons. The first of which, it proves his purity and willingness to resist Satan and temptation. The greatest of tempters. I mean, I'll tell you what, there's nobody who's more equipped to tempt you than Satan himself. He's got a lot of his fallen angels working for him. But Satan is the expert. Now, some of us might look at it and say, well, of course he didn't sin. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. But we need to understand something very critical, and don't miss this point. By experiencing the full weight of temptation without failing, the greatest tempter, the full weight of temptation, and did not fail. You can, you can honestly say that Jesus has experienced a measure of temptation beyond anything that you and I could ever experience. Now you might say, well, how does that differ then? How does, how does it differ that he has experienced the full weight and we can say that we haven't? We've all been tempted, right? 
We've all been tempted before. We all will be tempted. Well, let me use an analogy here to try to help you understand this concept. Let's say there are two weightlifters in a competition. Right? They're both trying to lift 500 pounds. One weightlifter gets up there and he pulls and he pulls and he pulls. He just can't move the weight. He can't, he, he can't even get it to budge off the ground. The other weightlifter steps up and he jerks that thing up off the ground, puts it up over his head, and then drops the weight back on the ground. Now, which weightlifter actually experienced the full weight of the 500 pounds? Was it the guy that couldn't even get it off the ground? Or was it the one that lifted it up? The one that fully experienced the 500 pounds? It's the one who actually was able to lift it because he experienced all 500 pounds. The guy that never got off the ground never felt the whole 500. And the point of the analogy is that those who resist temptation are those who actually feel the whole thing, that actually experience all of it without failing. They have sensed all of the temptation and still managed to go through it. Another example would be if a tornado came through. We had bad, we're coming up on spring before too long. We're going to start seeing our bad weather rolling through here again. Let's say a tornado comes through and it wipes out a whole bunch of trees and leaves some standing. Which trees experience the full wind? The full force of the winds that came through? The ones that are still standing or the ones that are laying on the ground? It's the ones that are still standing. They experience the full brunt of the wind and manage to remain upright. The broken ones are laying on the ground. They didn't experience it all. <clears throat> from that point on, from the point that they broke, there was no longer a temptation. They'd already failed. Or no longer the force. So by experiencing the full measure of Satan's temptation and not succumbing and not failing, Jesus felt the full weight of all temptation that exists. And when we consider this, it really gives life to the verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Where it reminds us about Jesus, that for we have had high priests which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, for he was what? In all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. All points. He has felt the full weight of temptation and yet was what? Without sin. Key words. Key words. For without this peace right here, he can't be our Savior. He's not the Messiah. And yet he was without sin. So he fulfills the role of the final sacrifice for our sins. What's more is if you'll look at the accounts of Christ's temptation in Luke and Mark, you'll note that Jesus was not just tempted in the wilderness these three times that we make note of in our verses this morning, but he had experienced the temptation for the full 40 days he was there. It wasn't just these three times, it was the full 40 days that Christ was being tempted. That's some serious resistance. All the while, his physical body yearning for food, yearning and weakening from the lack of food, getting tired, getting hungry, getting just completely beat down. And yet he resisted all 40 days with these three times seemingly being at the very end when he is at his weakest. 
That's resistance. The other thing we need to take away from that is that the testing was a demonstration of his full commitment to his father. This experience was, in, in a sense, a rite of passage by which Jesus entered his earthly ministry. So, let's take a look now at the actual temptations and see what we need to take away from this. What do we need to learn from this particular passage of Scripture? And the first thing we've already kind of touched on a bit, and that is that it often comes at our weakest moments or when we're, and it can be very, very subtle. The first temptation that Jesus gets hit with seems kind of harmless, really, to you and me. It doesn't seem like a really big deal to you and me. He had just spent the last 40 days fasting. He was hungry. In fact, the scriptures tell us very specifically that he was hungry. So what does Satan do? He says, if you are so hungry and you are the son of God, yeah, turn these rocks into bread. What's the big deal? Turn these rocks into bread. Now, when we consider this in view of the miraculous feedings that Jesus did, where he fed 5,000 and 4,000, we look at how he turned water into wine at a wedding. It doesn't really seem like a big deal, does it? On the surface, it would seem like, well, so what? Turn them into bread. Feed yourself. Why not? But let's take a closer look at what Satan is really saying. It seems simple on the surface, but Satan is really good at disguising his real intentions. First of all, note that in the temptation, he starts it with, if, if you are the Son of God, if. Now, Satan knew the answer to that question. Satan knows full well who Jesus is. He's no dummy. He's been around since, since God created him. He knows who Jesus is, right? Since God created Lucifer, he knows who Jesus is. He's been with him in heaven, and he's fought him ever since he got cast out of heaven. So why did he say if? What's the point in him saying if? He was framing the temptation with the nature of the challenge. Let me reword what Satan was saying, and maybe it'll become clearer. You have suffered for 40 days now and experienced enough hardship and enough indignity. If you're really the son of God, then you're entitled to some satisfaction at this point, so why not take it upon yourself to satisfy your hunger that you're feeling right now? Did you catch that? Don't worry about God taking care of you, waiting on that. Do it yourself. Don't wait on God. Just handle it yourself. He was challenging Jesus to forego trust in the Father's provision. And to take matters in his own hands. Because after all, he was the son of God. He was entitled to it, right? It was a temptation to exercise personal, selfish authority that would satisfy his own desires. In other words, how often are we tempted to take things in our own hands to satisfy our own desires? And not trust in God's provision. Now Jesus being the master debater, of course, turns and hits him with scripture. The best defense you can have for any temptation. The best defense you can have to any argument. So Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy 8.3 and hits him with this. He says, 
And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee known that man, and this is where Jesus picks it up, doth, man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You see, this verse was a reminder to Israel of God's tender care for his people while they were in the wilderness wandering. And it is a perfect parallel to what Jesus is trying to get to here. And another thing to consider here is that Satan will sometimes use our special abilities to our benefit and not God's to satisfy our own desires. Maybe we're particularly good at something. He says, use it for your own glory. Use it for your own good. Don't worry about helping anybody else out. But there's yet another reason for the if. You see, Satan always likes to plant doubt. He likes to put doubt in our minds with regard to God and his provisions and his promises. Always wanting to force the proof. He did the same thing when he tempted Eve. I mean, think about it. He came to Eve and said, did God really say that? Are you sure about that? Are you sure that's what he really meant? You see, if he can create doubt about God, doubt about spiritual reality, doubt about the standards of authority figures that is involved in our lives, namely God, doubt about what he commands, doubt about his law, then he can lessen the concern of the one being tempted. He can force us into a place where we start doing our own analysis. We start trying to figure out our own interpretation rather than adhering strictly to the truth of God's word. So Satan gets rebuked. Jesus throws scripture at him and basically just says, this is what God says, leave me alone. So Jesus takes, I mean Satan takes note of Jesus' response. And he kind of uses it as a segue to lead into the very next temptation. It's a pretty slick transition when you think about it. So once again, he begins the temptation with, if you are the Son of God, and seemingly implies, ah, so you can trust God completely. God is going to take care of you all the times. Well, if you say that God, you can trust God, well, let's just see. And to really drive this point home, Satan quotes Scripture himself. <coughs> Jesus throws Scripture at Satan, so Satan says, okay, we're going to play the Scripture game. And let me, under, let me explain something. Satan knows scripture better than you and me. You don't think he doesn't know what the Bible says? So he quotes from Psalms. He goes to Psalms 91, 11 and 12 and, say, and quotes from this where it says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. But wait a minute, something's missing in what Satan said in that verse. Satan left out part of those verses when quoting it. And the part he left out was that he would keep thee in all thy ways. Referring to God. The sense of that part of the verse points to as you follow the will of God. So Satan was trying to extract the idea of following God's will and simply apply it to whatever you want to do. Let's not worry about whether or not we're in God's will. Let's just do whatever and God is going to protect him. 
Right? So by taking that part of the verse out, Satan was able to make it look like Jesus could test God's promise of protection however and whenever he wanted to. Notice how Satan uses manipulation of Scripture to justify his actions. We don't ever do that, do we? We don't ever seemingly take a verse and take it out of context, perhaps. Pull it out of where it is in Scripture, forgetting what's around it, because it just happens to fit what we want to prove. We don't ever do that, do we? That is absolutely rampant right now in our world today. Those who are even willing to go back to Scripture. I cannot tell you how many times I see things taken out of context to support immoral or ungodly behaviors. Anyway, Satan challenged Jesus to jump off the temple. Now to put this in context, the place where they were standing, the particular corner of the temple mount they were on, you would be looking straight down into a valley. A drop of roughly 450 feet. And Jesus is saying, or Satan is telling Jesus, throw yourself down, God will catch you. By the way, tradition says James, the Lord's half-brother, was thrown from that very point in his martyrdom. And that's how he was killed. Yet another underlying thought of Satan was this. If you want people to follow you, you want people to follow you in your ministry, jump down from here. Land on your feet, completely fine, and people will come for miles to follow you. To which Jesus appropriately responds, once again, from Deuteronomy, this time with the first part of Deuteronomy 6.16, where it says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. We are not to tempt God. We don't say, God, I'm going to do this just to prove that you exist. We don't challenge him. We don't tempt him. We, we str struggle or uh, strive to be in his will and he'll let everything else play out. So now Jesus has pretty much put Satan in his place a second time. So Satan's going to come in one last time before the end of all this exchange. Comes at him with a third temptation and he says, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of this world. As the God of this present world, they were his to offer at the time. There are two particular things to note here. The first of which reveals the underlying efforts of Satan. And that was to get him to try to bypass the cross. Well, you don't need to go to the cross. I'll make you king now. That is for God to give him though, right? See, Satan was saying, I'm just offering you what God offers you. Only what I'm offering you is the same thing that God offers you. Only you won't have to go to the cross. It really involves compromise. Satan is saying, take the shortcut and get what you want. It's not necessary to follow God's plan. <clears throat> Satan is saying, you don't have to follow God's plan. I'll give you what you want now. Avoid the suffering that you'll have to face if you go to the cross. Do we ever think like that? 
We don't have to follow God's plan. Let's get what we want now. And the second thing to note here is what Satan is asking for. Again, we see Satan striving for what had many years prior gotten him cast out of heaven. What was he asking Jesus to do? To worship him. To be worshipped as God is something that Satan has been trying to do since he got himself in trouble in heaven. It is what got him cast out of heaven. His pride of feeling like he was superior to God and he should be worshipped as God. And what a lofty goal he had to try to be worshipped by the very Son of God himself. And kind of a side note here, all sin when you think about it is really an act of worship towards Satan when you think about it. If our heart was in a state of worship towards God at all times, we wouldn't go through with sin. If we position ourselves in a state, in a mindset, in a heart of worship, do you really think that you would be prey to temptation? No. So, okay, so we're done now. The three temptations. Jesus at this point says, Satan, get out of here. He dismisses him. Now, does Satan have an option of obeying Jesus or not? No. Satan has to obey Jesus because Jesus has power, all power over Satan. So he leaves once he's dismissed. <clears throat> but we know that this won't be the last time that Satan tempts Jesus. We know that down his, later in his ministry, he is also tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane. So what else does this tell us? This also tells us that Jesus has shown us how we have power and through his strength over sin. One of the most important lessons from these passages lies in the demonstration of our greatest defense against temptation. He used scripture. He grabbed Bible verses and said, this is why I'm not going to do that. Because God says this. He used scripture to defend against the temptations that he was facing. Now, while speaking aloud, the verse probably isn't such a bad idea. The biggest takeaway from this is the knowledge of God's word for any given situation. And that brings those truths back to our minds at a time when we really need to be reinforced. We, why do we have to know scripture? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one of them is that when we are faced with these temptations, we can go back to scripture in our minds and say, well, God says this, so I'm not going to do that. Because if left out, the scripture left out, we're going to try to reason and rationalize on our own accord. And that's never a good thing, I can promise you that. We need to pull scripture back, pull scripture into our minds. By learning and building our knowledge of the Word of God, we gradually build up a stronger and stronger defense against Satan's efforts and all the temptations that come our way. Remember what it says in Psalms 119 or 11? It says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There it is right there. Our best defense against temptation is to know what God says about that. Remind ourselves, God says this. I don't care what Satan is trying to present to me. God says this. This is the greatest thing we can do to strengthen ourselves against temptation. When we are tempted, we go immediately to the word of God. 
What benefits does it have? And I don't mean we pretty much know what is right and wrong anyway, right? We don't need God's word. Well, of course we need God's word. Well, for starters, knowing what is right and wrong doesn't seem to stop our hearts from choosing the wrong path. And by redirecting our thoughts and hopefully our hearts to the word of God, we're reinforcing God's position in that particular temptation and reminding ourselves to draw upon the power of the Lord to give us the strength to fight. But there's more to it than that. Notice how Satan was twisting and manipulating scripture to justify the temptation. We are going to do the same thing if left on our own. The more our heart says and our flesh says, you know, that may be not such a bad thing. Might be fun. We might find pleasure, gratification, satisfaction, whatever from it. The more we're going to start rationalizing in our own minds. But if we go to Word of God and lock it down right there, it doesn't matter what we feel. What does God say? Go back to the source. Once we are again reminded of the full context of the verse and the reality of God and what he said, his position is, we have our foundation of defense. So when we think of the verse, we're reminded of thou shalt not. We don't have to ask ourselves what exactly God meant. We know without a doubt what God meant because he says it right in his word. And lastly, one of the most powerful things that we take away from this, we learn that Jesus is worthy to be our Redeemer. Of all the takeaways we have from these verses, and truthfully, we've only kind of scratched the surface here. There is a lot that we can take away from that this morning. The greatest, unquestionably, is that this proves that Jesus is worthy to be our Redeemer. As I mentioned before, Satan was along with everything else, making an effort to get Jesus to go past the cross, to bypass the cross. He didn't want him to go to the cross, because he knew what was going to happen if he went to the cross. Praise God. Jesus wouldn't have any of it. He wasn't listening to Satan. He knew that the very fate of all mankind rested on him keeping his appointment with that Roman instrument of torture. He wasn't going to take the shortcut. He wasn't going to choose the easy road. He would suffer and bear the weight of our sins because he knew there was no other way, absolutely no other way that we would be redeemed. And only he was worthy to be the lamb of the sacrifice. And he proved that through his resistance of the temptation of even Satan himself. Now, if any of us deceives ourselves into thinking that we could beat Satan in a showdown, we're pretty sadly mistaken. I promise you none of us could stand against the wiles of Satan. If, we, if he tempted us directly, you were done. There's no way. And yet time and time again, Jesus, as we said, bore the what? Full weight of temptation full weight that Satan had to throw at him. Every trick, every encouragement to compromise, every misdirection, Jesus remained sinless and pure. The very reason that he was the only acceptable sacrifice to God. Jesus acknowledged this very truth, or John acknowledged this very truth, even before the time of his sacrifice. 
just before his baptism. If you remember, John was baptizing in the river and seeing Jesus approaching him in the distance. What did he say? John 1.36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith what? Behold the Lamb of God. John was acknowledging the role that Jesus was to play. Only a short time later, that he would be the only acceptable sacrifice to God. He lived a sinless life, resisting all temptation, though he bore the full weight of it, remember? Jesus died a sinner's death, our punishment, bearing the full weight of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus is absolutely worthy to be our Redeemer. And having died the death that we deserved, he rose again on the third day over victory, in victory over death, the grave, and sin. And that gives us victory through his shed blood. Not through anything that we did, not because we decided to accept him. No, the victory comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as I stated before, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you have no defense. You have no defense against Satan. You have no defense against God when he presents your sins to you in the day of judgment. You have no defense. The only thing you can say is guilty as charged. And nothing can be offered to redeem you at that point. You have no hope in this life or the next. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you accept what he has done for us, if you accept that he has bore the full weight of temptation, the full weight of our sins, suffered the punishment as if he did sin, which he did not, and declare him as Lord, then you too can have the defenses that we talked about today. When temptations comes our way in this life, we can live in the blessed hope of a life eternal with God in heaven forever. Why would you not want that? Are we so prideful and so bold as to think that we can face all this in our lives alone? Oh, I'm strong enough. I can handle it. Don't be a fool. We know that that's not the case because we fail time and time and time again. We can't face it alone. We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need Jesus Christ. As a propitiation for our sins, we need somebody to reconcile us to God because we have nothing to offer but failure and wretchedness. But it's so simple. It's so simple to have Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. It's not like you have to earn it. You don't need to spend your life trying to be good to earn it. You'll never do it because we don't deserve it. We simply confess our sins before God, acknowledge that we can't do anything, that we have nothing to offer him, and accept Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for us, knowing full well that he rose again three days in victory over death, sin, and the grave. Then we can have the very same protections that we spoke about this morning, and you can have the eternal hope of living your life knowing that this is not it, that there is something greater, better, and more magnificent than our minds could ever grasp waiting for us on the other side. What's to stop you from doing that? Why not come to Jesus Christ today? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer.
Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we thank you for the time we've been able to spend in your word, Lord. It is truly a blessing and a privilege to hear you speak to us. Lord, we just ask that you take the things that we've heard this morning and help us to grow in them. Help us to recognize our weaknesses and our uh, need for the strength that you and only you can give us. And Lord, it's my prayer that if anybody is here or at the sound of my voice that perhaps has not put their trust in you, put their trust in the, the risen Lord and the Son of God who has died on the cross for our sins, that this would be the day they would do so, Lord. That they would recognize that their hopelessness and they would grasp the salvation that you so freely offer. And Lord, just lead and guide every heart that is here today that we might be following in your will and that we might be according to, uh, working according to your purposes for your kingdom and glory. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church space-space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.